Welcome to the Michael Murray Podcast, keeping real estate simple. Let's get into it. Today, I'm going to talk about managing vendors. And the reason I'm going to talk about that is that that is probably the most common question right now I'm getting. So what we find in the real estate industry, of course, is because we we do have those multi-disciplines going, yeah, prospect, list, manage, sell. At any given point in time, usually one of those things, there's more pressure on. And at the moment, that's managing vendors. And I like to look at things really simply, but really logically. So what we've found this financial year is essentially the first half of the calendar year, uh, most capital city markets were starved of stock. Don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but let's just call it 25% down on the year before. Those numbers are available from realestate.com, their prop track section, um, and they, they can provide those with you for you. But what, what I found this year is that this financial year is that July and August, um, the listing numbers are up and they're, they're up by 25%. So what, what that means is there's more stock. So what's happened this year, and especially in Sydney and Melbourne, this has happened. Some of the regional markets might be slightly different, but essentially what that's done is spring sprung a little early. And uh, I don't know why, maybe because we'll just starve the first half of the calendar year. So what I what I do is I start getting people, oh, hey, mate, can you give me a brush up on managing vendors or vendor management? Because the reality is the last few years where it's been low stock, guess what? Haven't had to manage vendors too hard. Yeah, it's kind of like you listed them and you sold them. And if we go back even further, I'd almost equate it to, uh, you know, you're selling raffle tickets to the chook raffle down the road at the, at the club. It was pretty easy to, to win. So what I like to talk about is some some fundamentals around vendor management, and the, these are not system fundamentals. There's there's a process to vendor management, vendor reports, etc. And I'm sure you're using your CRM properly, or you've done training around this. And it's not so much me talking about that. It's talking about the vendor's psyche or their behaviour in the transaction. So what happens, right, is that when a vendor's on the market, they've chose you as the agent. Yeah, you've gone in. You've gone in there. Now, hopefully, you're not promising the world and delivering Tasmania. You want to deliver, okay? So, what you want to do is, but you can't kill hope. Yeah. So, if you walk around listing property, killing hope everywhere, guess what? You're not going to list anything. Yeah? And when a market changes, that's typically what agents start doing is they start speaking to their vendor about how hard the market is, and then they go, "I'll go with the." girl or guy next door because they just believe they'll get the price. So it really comes into the listing part, which we'll cover off at another time. But essentially speaking is when a vendor chooses to go on the marketplace, yeah, what that is, that is a very stressful time. You guys do this every day. Don't take it for granted that they haven't done this for 10 or 15 years or even sometimes five years or whatever it might be. So what happens is this, the expectation you set is critical. Yeah, in their behavior. If you don't set your expectations up properly, then down the track when it's not going to plan, they're, they're pretty much going to hate the agent, which is what you want to avoid. Most of the time, you're working with a client on a 12-week agreement. So essentially speaking, the way I talk about this is actually using some, some things I actually do in school. And not just in schools, but they use this with, with different types of people. So, so what they do, there's a thing called social story. So I'm just going to use kids at school as an example. So people have anxiety generally, okay? Like anxiety is a natural feeling um, that everyone gets. Question is, is it managed and does it ever stop, <laughs> right? But 
being anxious is normal, okay? But what they'll do is there's a lot of kids, especially younger ones, they're quite anxious, right? So let's say they're going on a school excursion, yeah? So what they'll typically do is they'll, they'll actually do a social story and they'll lay out the process of that excursion, you know? Mum's going to drop you off at 8.30. They're going to pack your lunch instead of you buying at the canteen because we're going down to the local museum, yeah? We're going to get on the bus, Nine o'clock, we're going to form out the front. We're going to go to the museum. We're going to stop for the bathroom here. So what they're doing is they're setting the expectation and they're, 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 they're taking away the anxiety by educating them on the process. So when you've got a vendor who's selling their property, you've got to do the same. They, they, don't, they don't sell a property every day of the week. Yeah? So what you've got to do is you've got to show them how the process works. Then what you need to do is because you're not walking around killing hope, what you need to do is you need to, if you make any promises or you believe their property's worth a figure and the market's showing it's not, is what you need to do is you need to anchor, you need an anchor to go back to. And what you need to anchor back to is the campaign vitals and stats. What you don't want to do is be real estate bipolar he or she was really nice and really hopeful. And now all they want to tell me is how bad my property is and how I can't get that money. So I believe in anchoring it back to the campaign vitals and stats because what it does, it gives you evidence. So one of the things, if we look at it this way and and to pick an example and um, probably just a simple example, if you go to the doctor and, and maybe you've got something wrong with you, maybe it's bad, maybe it's not bad, but whatever it might be, the doctor might say, hey, um, we need to do some tests. Now, that doctor could say, hey, uh, sorry, a doctor wouldn't say, you know what, I reckon you're going to die, but I'm going to do the test, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna hope, yeah, a good doctor is going to go, look, we're not sure what's wrong with you, but let's do some tests and let's see, and let's, let's deal with that when we get there. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to know that when you talk to a vendor before you go on the market, this is what we think it is based on comparable sales or what's happening in the market that given day. But what happens is when we're on the market, we're in the test. We now have facts. Yeah. And this is why it's really important that you know what a good one looks like in your market. Because a good one in your market, now if some if they're on the market and it's not looking like a good one, and a good one might be how many people came through the property, um, how many inquiries I've got, how many offers I've got, how many contracts have gone out, whatever your good one looks like, you've got to paint the story of the good ones in your listing appointment. So then you can anchor back to, if you're on the market and it's not going to plan, you've got a reference point. You've got something to anchor it back to. Because what you'll find is if, they, if, they're living, if they're living for every word that you say of what you said before and you told them it was worth a million but it's worth $800,000, you're going to be up against it all the time. So you've got to set the expectations. The other thing that agents miss regularly is the live market conditions. What's actually happening in the market? Like if you jump in just simply into your realestate.com app as an agent, you can see that the buyer's inquiring on your property. You can see what they're looking at on other properties, right? Which is a great tool to say to the agents, hey, the, the most inquiry is looking at these five properties. Now, it might be that that property might have sold, yeah? I had a buyer through who had a million dollars, but he bought next door at 950 because you didn't see value at yours at one, $1 million. So what you want to do, and, and we talk about stories, they're your case studies, yeah? We know that people like stories. Sometimes you're actually better off not saying the case study 
have the story. Yeah, we love stories. We watch movies. We look at social media. We like stories. So when you paint your case studies, paint them as stories, and then make sure that you've got some stats in there that you can refer back to and anchor back to. This is the biggest thing as well: is your mindset. Okay, if you're a salesperson, who are you a salesperson to? You're a salesperson to the buyers, to the vendor. You are an advisor. You need to position yourself as the advisor, not the salesperson. You're selling to the buyers. So to be an advisor, you've got to be trusted. To be trusted, you've got to live up to what you said. And it takes time. It takes time to see people. Hopefully when they've chosen you, build up trust already because your relationship might have gone for a three, five or 10 year period. So I find positioning yourself as the advisor as opposed to the salesperson. When I was a sales manager... It's very regular that I sat in a reserve meeting with an agent, right? And typically speaking, they would call me in if they couldn't get the reserve the way they wanted the reserve. One of the first things I would say to the owners, because I had no relationship with the owner, but I had, if you like, the authority, because I was a manager, that maybe I know what I'm talking about. That was the position I had to come from. The first thing I'd say to them, and usually let's say that was an agent that had been around for three, five, ten years wrote plenty of business. And you know, I didn't say it as harshly as this, but I'd say something like this. John, your property isn't the first property that Jimmy sold. Yeah. And when he's when Jimmy sells your property, John, it's it's actually not going to change his life. But we understand, and I didn't get too cliche here by the way, but we understand that this is very important in your life. So what we've got on the table is all the campaign stats, which are what we're basing our advice to you on, because we're advising you. We're not selling to you. We're selling to the people that are on this list of potential buyers. Yeah. So I try and convey that we haven't got commission breath. We're not just trying to make the sale, right? And I hope you're not, right? Because you, you won't make money having, having that commission breath. So advi- position yourself as the advisor. The other technique is when you're preparing people, there's a technique called platforming. I yeah, don't know what the official name is, but essentially speaking, when you chat to a vendor, you're platforming the next conversation because the reality is in the process, you probably know what it is anyway. You're preparing them, preparing. Think about anything that's happened in your life you weren't prepared for. Yeah, You're probably shocked. So how do you reduce the shock? You you platform, you prepare them for the next conversation. Example of this, right? So I'd ring clients on a Friday. I sold real estate on the Central Coast of New South Wales. What would happen is the premium buyers would come out of Sydney. I would look at the weather on Friday. I'm sure the other people in the offices look at me and go, why is Michael calling about the weather on Friday? So I'd ring up and I'd say, hey, John, just letting you know that tomorrow morning is actually raining. So we've got your open at 1030 And what's going to happen is the people in Sydney sometimes don't come up. So what I'm saying to John is that potentially there's going to be less people through on Saturday because of the weather. However, John, it's clearing up about two, so I'm kind of becoming a weather expert here, right? So then what happens is I'm saying, but guess what? They come up after lunch then because the sun comes out, they're going to the beach, whatever. They might want to see your property at four, yeah, because I'm working all day Saturday to get your property sold. They might want to see your property at four. So I'm platforming that if we don't get anyone in the open, there could be someone that comes through later. Have your house ready still. Like don't move all the kids and keep the mess. And you're like, I've, I can't take someone through because they, they might come. So that's just an example of platforming. Another example might be that 
you've said to the vendor that you're expecting half a dozen people through on Saturday, yeah? So you might say to them, hey, look, really hoping for six people through on Saturday. When two people come through, that's back to the test. So what I would typically do on Saturday is say, hey, John, we only had two. John knew I was expecting six, yeah? So what John did know that on Monday when I called all the buyers back and then Tuesday when I caught up with the vendor, John, whether it be phone or in person, was that we're probably going to adjust the price because we had two, not six. So I've prepared them. So some of the vendors would literally say to me on Tuesday, Michael, I guess we've got to bring the price down. So, and it'd be great if it's like that, but if we're not preparing, we're not following a process, then we're always up against it. Yeah. Really hard to change the process midstream. The other big thing is this, when you deliver the service to a vendor on the market, yeah, deliver it properly. Because guess what? If you stuff it up, right, who are they going to blame? You, yeah? So what it means is, right, is that your delivery of service has to be good. Hopefully it's great, yeah? It'd be great if it was excellent, right? But what it does, it eliminates the blame the agent because the agent's incompetent and can't get this sold to you want them to see, obviously, that it's the market or the property and it's just about the decision. Unfortunately, they're connected emotionally to their property. Another big one is offers. So what I can suggest in a changing market is, yeah, because you're an agent and they might not see you as a trusted advisor right now, what it means is that you need your job is to get offers. And I'm talking real offers. I'm not talking verfies. Real offers, whatever interest that might be. If you don't get offers, it could be in their opinion not doing your job. And they'll be looking for that other agent at week four. So offers are critical in a changing market. I want to talk about a bit more about the vendor emotions. So we talked about anxiety before. And the reason I want to talk about the vendor emotions is because what I find agents typically take a vendor response personally. You're in an anxious situation. You're selling the property. If it's not going to plan, yeah, the odds are they're not happy. Yeah. But they might not be not happy with you. It might come across that way. But we've got to look at what's actually happening with the vendor, right? So essentially speaking, they thought, hey, I'm going to get a million, but I'm getting 800,000. So in the first instance, they're kind of shocked. So usually people who are shocked are going to do a couple of things, right? They're going to get really angry. Yeah. Now, it could be directed at you because you're the person in the middle. Like, welcome to the program. That's your job, right? That's why you get paid. So what you need to do is you need to not take it personally. It's different. If you stuff up campaigns, I can tell you now, they'll be after you. But if you're doing your job and it's about the test, yeah, you can be the bad news bear sometimes, right? That's just the way it works. When, when I see a changing market, my high-performing agents usually walk around slumped shoulders because all their energy is going into trying to get these vendors sold who are dealing with these emotions and not getting their money. And they just look more tired than they, than they usually are. So, so what you've got to do is You've got to understand these emotions and you've got to not take them personally because what happens is when they're shocked and they're angry and then what they do is they start seeing by the tests and the offers that this is where it sits. So then it becomes a decision of are they still selling? And if they're still selling, it's your job to get them to that acceptance of this is how the market is because the reality is when you're on the market is the buyers of the market. Everything you said before that is actually hearsay. It's actually you're predicting the result. There's a reason it's called a market appraisal, not a valuation, yeah? It's what we hope we can get for your property based on these conditions that were probably 90 days ago. And when we've got a changing market, it can, it like, I would say that economic conditions can turn on a 10-cent piece, 
yeah, I would say that 10% of a price is around consumer sentiment. Yeah. If everyone thinks it's going well and it's up, prices are better. If everyone thinks it's down, it's down a little bit. If you if you deal with previous history of GFCs or downturns in markets, um, our change in markets are nothing as severe as that. Yeah. You know, like in two thousand and eight, you'd run a campaign and get three through to the whole campaign. So we, we we've always got to we've got to look at our market. The biggest thing when you're dealing with vendors is by doing the test connecting with them about what their goals are and what they're trying to achieve, getting their trust. Ultimately, they're going to, if they're going to sell less than they thought they were going to get, then they need reasons, yeah, to justify their decision, yeah? Because when they're on the market, guess what? They're in the public realm, yeah? It's embarrassing if they don't get the money. Imagine if they told everyone what they thought they'd get. Now they're really embarrassed. We're in this social structure. So they've got to justify. And usually justification is about where they're going. I think it's called destination selling, depending on, you know, the training training you listen to. So so what it is, is that the reality is this, right? So if it feels better where they're going than it does where they are, they'll go. But you've got to show them how that's real and the price. One of the challenges in dealing in a market with downsizers, downsizers who are selling their trophy home, their family home, they're going into, maybe they're going to a smaller property, maybe they're going into 55, over 55's, facility or they're going into an aged care facility, which happens a lot in Sydney where people have held properties for so long. They're going from their home to the next stage. There's actually a fair bit of pain associated with that. So what we find is that the time cycle of going in the markets there, they're, they're usually something happens, unfortunately, that they didn't go on the market. So they're forced to go on the market. So, so if you think about what feels good versus what hurts, it's really important to understand that in this cycle. And this is why when uh, you would have heard me talk about before that really the sixth discipline in real estate is understanding human behavior because this is all human behavior. It's not personal. I think as well, one of the things that agents really underestimate is the time it takes for people to come to terms with a decision to sell less. Not everything sells in 21 days or 18 days or seven days. Yeah. Working on the central coast of New South Wales, which is a very different market now than what it was a decade ago, you know, I had listings that had a birthday, you know, like in Sydney, you typically wouldn't have a listing that you had on the market for 365 days, but the particular vendor wasn't kind of ready to sell yet. So I was patient enough. It was a bit of a waterfront property. Um, There's some must just take longer, you know? So part of vendor management is actually you managing your emotions so typically speaking, yeah, if, if I'm an agent, I'm, I'm like pretty competitive and I want to win and then these people are attacking me and I thought I was like the knight in shining armor or, you know, the guiding light and I'm going to get this great result and it doesn't go that way. So that, that's going to affect your emotions. I see, I see many agents who avoid vendor management because they don't want to go there. I don't want a pro- I don't want a problem with the customer. I understand that. But it's part of the role is going through that client's thing um, journey, Right. I think one of the keys to your own emotions is understanding the difference between empathy and sympathy, yeah? You're the advisor. You can't be in the corner crying with them. You've got to give them the advice of what they need, yeah? Empathy versus sympathy. You can't not understand their situation, yeah? Imagine being a doctor and being sympathetic. It'd be a really hard job, yeah? So as an agent, it can be hard too. When the market changes, you're the bad news bear. Every conversation is less than they thought. It really takes its toll on people. So you've got to understand managing, managing your emotion. 
I think one of the biggest things as well when you're on the market is that essentially speaking, it's a process of elimination. Everything we do in our life is about eliminating. We buy a car. Guess what? We started with four cars. We got it back to three, two. Maybe we bought it because of a deal. But we eliminated. Maybe we did it with our partner in our life. Yeah. Had a couple of interested parties. Yeah. Found one, kind of, you know, eliminated. So it's called the process of elimination. So sometimes when we're doing a, when we're on the market, it's a test. What are we doing? We're eliminating price. And obviously a little while ago, but I'll just use the number. If I ever ran an auction and the guy was 500,000 and we went to auction and no one bid, well, the good news was I knew it wasn't worth more than 500,000. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the way necessarily a lot of people saw that, but it was what I thought. I thought, well, you know, if there was a $600,000 buyer, I would have found him. You know what I mean? So they weren't there. So I think it's that process of elimination and understanding that. Thanks for listening to the Michael Murray Podcast. If you like what you've heard, then check out mmhighperformancecoach.com.au or Michael Murray High Performance Coach on social media. You can find all the links in the show notes. Thank you.